Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Hi. My name's Chip, for those who didn't catch it, and I'll be doing the Bible reading tonight. It's coming from James 1, 19 to the end. Good. (laughs) There's been some debate over what the passage is tonight. Here it goes. (laughs) My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the words, to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intensely, intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Good evening. I'm a bit husky tonight. I've uh, had a bit of a cold, so just, I don't know, bear with me, I guess. Um, So we're continuing on with a series that we started last week in the book of James that we've called The Way of Wisdom. James is, it's a New Testament book, but uh, a lot of people consider it like the New Testament's version of the Proverbs. It's like, James was this early church leader and he had all this kind of good wisdom and knowledge and he wanted to share it so he threw it all in kind of a a letter and sent it out. It's different to Paul's letters. It's not as uh, clearly sort of logical and flows from one to another. You get all these random bits. Um, So just kind of as we work through it, we'll be pulling on the different threads, on the different random bits um, and just seeing what he's really getting at. Tonight's message I've called, Do Not Be Deceived. So if you're writing notes, that's what we're going with. And here in the latter part of James 1, we see a continuation of some of the themes that he began in the earlier part of the letter. And there's this exhortation, this encouragement or challenge to stick to the word, to live differently to the world, and to love in a countercultural way. So tonight we're going to look at kind of three actions that are, I think Christians are called to as a gospel response, a way of living out the faith that we profess. And it's important to note that the book of James, it's written to people that are Christians. It's written to people that already believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They've accepted him as their Lord They believe that Jesus is who he says he was. 
And that's important because otherwise you'll read it as a list of rules or requirements. And that's not what James is doing. He's not saying these are the things you have to do to become a Christian or to receive salvation. He's saying this is what I encourage you to as those who have received grace, who have received salvation. You're a Christian. This is what Christians do. So that's the framing and it's important we, we get that. Otherwise we look at it and go, wow, James, that's, like a, that's a pretty impossible checklist. So three things we're going to look at tonight, three kind of actions that Christians do. The first is listening before speaking. The second is obeying, not compromising. And the third is loving selflessly. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are here by your Holy Spirit. And that as we look at the word, as we open up what your servant James wrote down many years ago, that you will reveal yourself, that you'll reveal your heart for the world, and that we will see what it means to live in the pattern of Christ. Father, help us to come to you tonight humbly, ready to hear what you have to say. Lord, we know that sometimes when we read the word, it challenges us. It can make us squirm in our seats a little bit. And sometimes it's, it can feel a little bit hard and a little bit heavy. But Lord, I pray that you would bring a lightness to us and a freedom that comes from knowing you as we wrestle with your word tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've spent any amount of time with me, you might be aware of one of my bad habits. Um, and I always get in trouble for this at home. But I'm very bad at uh, being the opposite of what James is saying here. I'm often very quick to speak and very slow to listen. I'll often jump in with my ideas before the other person's finished or I kind of, I sort of anticipate what I think someone's going to say so I just start answering the question I think they're going to ask even though they were going to go somewhere else and it's pretty rude. <laughs> so there you go, that's a public confession. Um, but I don't know if you're like me, some of you definitely would be um, and you probably do the same thing and the other half of the room are the people that get really frustrated with people like me. So there we go. But what James is saying, and what I've been kind of sitting in this week as I've been reading this book and pondering what we do with it and what it means, is James is continuing this biblical theme that, that starts, it's kind of all the way through, of watching what you say. That the tongue has power, and that we should wield that power wisely. And so he says in verse 19, and Liam, could you pop that up for me? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And as I pondered, you know, why this is important, like why do we have to do that? Why should I be slow to listen, sorry, quick to listen, and slow to speak? I kind of, I reflected on what, what does Jesus say the greatest commandment is? Well, he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. These are kind of the big two for Jesus, an encapsulation, if you will, of 
all of the law and also I think what it means to follow him. And I think that if I am quick to speak, that I'll override and I'll overrule and I'll, I'll dominate conversation and that's not very loving to the people that I'm conversing with. But I also think if I'm quick to speak to God and I'm slow to listen to him and I don't listen to him, if in my prayers I treat God like some kind of cosmic vending machine, but I don't actually stop and listen to what he's saying, I'm not really loving him with all my heart and my soul and my mind. So to listen well, I think, to our Father in heaven and to listen well to his people are some of the ways that we love. And so I think what underpins this kind of encouragement to listen, to be slow to speak, is love is loving God by listening to him and loving his people. And verse 19 ends there with, a, with an exhortation to be slow to become angry. Why? Well, verse 20 says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And further down in verse 26, James writes, those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. And the word there for deceive um, that James is using is often a word that's, that's characterized and put in place with idol worship. So they're deceived by worshiping idols. So James is kind of suggesting that the religion, the belief, the practice of people who don't watch their tongues and control their speech is no better than idolatry. So he's kind of, he's a big deal to James. And as a general truth, and this is, we see this in the Bible, human anger leads to sin and it doesn't produce the kind of righteousness that God desires. And so I want to just spend a moment unpicking this. What's the difference between self-righteousness and actual righteousness, God's righteousness. Because often, I think we conflate the two. And in, in our self-righteousness, we think that we're being godly, when in fact we're not. And so I think self-righteousness says, I'm right. My rights and freedoms matter most. I'm the arbiter of what is just and fair. And self-righteousness, I think, stems from pride, which is, it's a sin. And even anger about things that are wrong. So I might be angry about the injustice of the world. Even that kind of anger can be sinful and self-righteous if it comes from this place of saying, well, I'm not like those people and what they're doing is wrong. It can be this, I'm better than others type attitude. And further, and where it starts to get dangerous for us, I think, is that self-righteousness puts us in the judgment seat. It puts us in a place of defining what's right and wrong. And inevitably, we're always going to put ourselves in the right, of course, because we are essentially we're good and we know what's best. So when you get angry, I think it's important to work out where is that anger coming from? Because self-righteousness says that I'm right, I'm fair, I'm just, I've got the objective, clear picture on this 
circumstance, this world issue, this social issue, this personal issue, and I know what is right. But I think true righteousness is only given by God, enacted by Christ in his people, and it leads to eternal justice. So any justice that we could enact from our own self-righteousness is not lasting anyway. But God's righteousness is. So when you're angry, check yourself. Ask yourself, am I angry here because I'm offended or questioned or hurt or defensive? Or am I angry because the righteousness that comes from Christ is bubbling up inside me against the sin and injustice of the world? And the way we can tell the difference is by reading the word, stopping, praying, being slow to speak, quick to listen, and working out, you know, if I'm angry, where's that coming from? Is it coming from me? Or is it coming from the Holy Spirit in me, which it, which it can do, that, that needs to do something about a problem? And all this kind of is, is tied up into this idea of being slow to anger. And so why should we be slow to anger? Why not act quickly if there's, a, if there's something wrong? Why not lash out and solve the problem? Well, we're called to be slow to anger because our God is slow to anger. In Exodus 34, 6, and Moses is receiving the law and he's having this picture and, and God's there talking to him. And he says this, what says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that idea that the Lord is slow to anger is one of the most repeated motifs throughout the whole Bible, but particularly throughout the whole Old Testament. God's people are reminded by prophets by God himself, again and again and again, that the Lord is slow to anger. So God, the only true judge of what is right and what is fair and what is just, the only person that is actually righteous and self-justified, he is slow to anger. And if he is slow to anger, then we as Christians are called to take on and mirror and mimic and become like him by being slow to anger ourselves. And it's a good thing for us that God is slow to anger. And so knowing that God is slow to anger should hopefully encourage you a little bit because sometimes we do things and we feel like, oh, maybe that's that's crossed the line and that's put too far a gap between me and God. Maybe that's the final straw for him. I don't know if you're here tonight and if you don't know Jesus and you don't know the love of the Father, but let me tell you, he is not this God who is up there waiting to strike you down when you do something wrong. He is slow to anger, steadfast in love, always ready to forgive, always gracious. And so we as his people are called also to be like that. The second thing for tonight is that Christians are called to obey and not 
compromise. Now, I have a, a dog. She's a very stupid dog. She's actually very smart, which makes the stupid things she do seem really stupid. Um, so she's really good. But one of the problems with my dog, her name is Mabel, and she's a Border Collie, is that there's just a few things that get her really, really, really excited to the point of like losing control. And normally, if, if you're quick with a command, like if you say, stop, Mabel, wait, she'll, she will. But if you're not quick enough, or if she's just more interested in the, whatever it is, then she'll take off. So an example might be that um, another dog might be walking past, we might have her off the leash, and she'll see that dog, and she knows that she's not supposed to run after that dog. And she knows there's a command, Mabel, wait. And she knows that if she hears that command, she's meant to wait. But often, not often, sometimes, she'll just start, she'll, she even kind of gives you a little look. And then she'll take off and you'll be like, Mabel, wait. And she doesn't. She just goes. She just goes. It's very, very frustrating. But the command is good for her, right? Mabel, wait, stop. Because it protects her from other dogs because she's really friendly, but she's also small and a big dog might hurt her. It also protects you know, us from annoying our neighbours and people that we might meet. It protects her from running onto the road or doing something stupid, like trying to fight a snake. But she gets so caught up in what she's doing that even though she hears the command to stop, to wait, she doesn't obey it. Don't be like Mabel. <laughs> we don't obey Christ and his commands to receive salvation. But we obey Christ in response to the salvation that we have. So James says in verses 21 through to 25, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So don't treat the word of God like a mirror's reflection that you forget about. Live it out. Humbly accept the word of God. Accept the gospel because it can save you. That's what it does. It saves you. When we receive the gospel, we actually become a new creation. And as we obey the word, we learn to, to live as that new creation. And there's a whole heap of things that the Bible says about you that we, we hear and we forget. And it's not just about, you know, reading the bits of the Bible that tell us, you know, what you should or shouldn't do and then doing or not doing the right or wrong things. That's not the point. The Bible actually tells you who you are. It tells you what your identity is. It tells you what that new creation life has given you. 
So the Bible actually says that you're a child of God. That God the Father has adopted you as his child, that you've been born again as his child. Just stop and think about that for a second. The God who created everything, who spoke the very mountains and hills that you drove through to get here into existence. There was nothing there. And he spoke and then there was something there. That same God, that powerful being, calls you his child. That's pretty cool. The Bible also says that you're a co-heir with Christ. That Jesus, by belief in him, gives you the right to become part of the family, a, a sibling of Christ, if you will, with him as like the older brother. The Bible says that you're loved. The Bible says that you have value. And your value is, doesn't stem from anything you do. And your value doesn't stem from anything you say or the way you act or don't act or your grades or your achievements or your promotions or your income or your relationship status or anything like that. That your value comes because you're made in the image of God. That he made you and therefore you have value. And the Bible says that a faithful God who is slow to anger is for you not against you. So as we see those things and as we read those things, it's very easy, I think, to just go away and forget who we are, who God says we are. But if we lived every day remembering who God says we are, I think we would live in a very different way. We wouldn't have to fight for acceptance we wouldn't have to build our identity on what we do or how much we earn or what other people say about us. It would be based purely on what God says. So don't be like Mabel, my stupid dog, who hears the word, the command, and disobeys it and runs off and runs herself into trouble. But hear the word and accept it. Why? Because it gives freedom. Because it aligns your heart with the heart of God. Because, James says, you will be blessed. And when we hear that, because we're materialistic, we go, oh, I'll be blessed, I'll get stuff. No, 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 that's not what he means. You'll be blessed in that you'll be walking with God. And there could be no greater blessing in this life than that. So finally... In listening carefully, in obedience to Christ, I believe we will learn to start to love as he loved, which is selflessly. And this last verse, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So pure religion 
is to love. It's to love God and it's to love others. James isn't saying that religion is bad because Christianity is a religion. He's not encouraging people away from worship and prayer and community. He's identifying a key countercultural element of what the church has always been called to, to look after those who can give nothing back, to look after the people who actually don't necessarily have anything to offer you, to love selflessly. So an orphan in this context is a, is a fatherless child and the widow is the woman whose husband is dead. And the widows and orphans of, of this passage, this context, are those who lack financial security, generally speaking, those who don't have protection, those who don't have legal security, and those who don't have the safety of a father or a husband to sort of you know, protect them from bad people. And the church's call here is to provide those things, to provide security, protection, finance, hope, and to point them to their heavenly father. And often these widows and orphans could give nothing back. So who are those in your life who can give nothing back? They're the people we're called to love. Not just our friends who love us and it's great, and that's good, have friends, but we're called to more than just the people that are like us. We're called to more than just the people who we can kind of get something out of. We're called to love people who can give nothing back at all. And I think there's a lot of those people. But I think we get really comfortable. Life gets too convenient. We get caught up in our own needs. So we don't really, A, look for these sorts of people or B, do anything about it even if we see them. As the great Hills Baptist theologian Ben Wicks says, we dabble in selflessness. It's a good, it's a good word. Our selflessness is on our terms, in our ways, and it normally doesn't end, us, end up costing us all that much. And as I, oh, here we go, as I pondered this throughout the week, got really upset because I realized it was speaking to me but I think it's speaking to us that we make our Christianity about us and I know that because churches split over preference not even over like whether we believe the right things like literally over preferences And people stop going to church and stop engaging with faith communities because they're not getting anything out of it. As if church was like a department store that you would go along to and be served as if you were the king of that place. 
We make church about coming in and making us feel good, getting our little top up for the week. But we don't worship the great I am. What if God's calling us to more than that? What if it wasn't just about coming along and getting a top up to help you get through the week? What if it was about more than even just coming and hanging out with your friends? What if God wanted to do something with his church? And I'm generalizing here, obviously, I know that. I know that. But what if there are orphans and widows in our immediate community that we're just completely ignoring because we've made our whole lives centered on ourselves? And I'm not even talking about like people starving in Yemen or something like that, although we should be aware of those things. It's talking about people in our own community, in our own lives that we just ignore. So James says to, that the, the, the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after widows and orphans, but it's also to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And I think that the world has polluted our religious practice, our Christianity, because we've taken on the world's mantra of it's all about you. And we've made church all about us. This really bugged me, really upset me this week. Because I realized, I was like, yeah, I've, I do that. And I'm a professional Christian. So I wonder if some of you guys are feeling the same thing. I wonder if, as a community, we really need to start listening to God. Not being so busy in our lives, but also not being so busy in our church services. And actually hear from God about what he wants for us and who he's asking us to go to. I'm going to invite Talia up now. She's going to share a prayer with us in response to what we've heard. But then we're going to do something that all of you, most of you, will find incredibly awkward because we love being busy and distracted. But we're just going to sit in some silence. And I might get Caleb to dim the lights for us. But let's, let's be quick to listen. Let's hear what God might want to say. Um, yeah, let's bow our heads and pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your truth and 
Jesus for everything that you sacrificed for us. And thank you that you have done everything and that the work is finished. And thank you, Father, for telling us who we are, for being our Father, for allowing us to be your children and for inviting us into your family. And thank you, um, Holy Spirit, for being with us in every moment of every day and for refining us and for growing us and changing our hearts. And thank you for the word and for what it can teach us about um, the opportunity that we that we have as your children to be loving um, and to represent you in the world and to yeah to be um, rebuked of what we um, are lacking in and what we forget to do and to be reminded of what your love looks like. And we pray that you will help us to listen. Pray that you will fill fill us with silence and with um, a happiness to sit in silence, to listen to you and to listen to each other. And I pray that we won't think that we have all the answers just because we know you, but that we will use and speak your word in wisdom and in compassion um, and in response to what we hear. And I pray that, yeah, you will help us with anger as well, with um, what bubbles up inside of us and pray that you will help us to discern whether it's righteous or unrighteous. Please check our hearts and yeah, remind us to be slow in our anger, to listen and to bring it to you before we bring it to anyone else, before we lash out or let it um, yeah, create destruction. I pray that um, you will put on our hearts things that you desire for the world and that we would take that out in peace. And I pray that, yeah, we would have open eyes to see who the people are that are on the margins, that are lacking in security and protection, the people that need hope. And I pray that we wouldn't look too far away and get overwhelmed by everything that we see in the world. Sometimes there just seems like there's too much to do, too many people to help, and then we don't help anyone. So I pray that, yeah, just tonight, in the coming time, in the silence, you would speak to us, and you would show us people, and then you would prompt us in our conversations, in our daily lives, and that you would give us selfless hearts to give our time and to give our, um, yeah, our open ears and our open hearts and our generosity. And I pray that, yeah, we would not be lacking in courage because we know who you, who we are in you. And, um, yeah, pray that we would be 
actively seeking opportunities and stepping out um, yeah where it's where it's not easy or it's not um, it's not giving us anything but I know that um, yeah we know that we are blessed um, when we do that we are blessed by your presence and your um, yeah you being beside us all the way so I pray over the silence and pray that you would be with us and that you would speak to each of us um, that yeah we would be convicted and to know what we need to learn and where we need to grow and I pray that yeah every time we step into church as well um, we would be seeking who we can bless and um, not how we can be blessed pray all these things in Jesus precious name Amen Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus Have an amazing day